is up, podcast nerds? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Clark Wayne, and this is episode nine of Clockwork Nights. Nine, nine, nine. <laughs> oh, just starting the show off with a little bit of dark humor. Uh, that is, uh, that's a line from a YouTube video that surfaced a few years ago of Hitler getting very upset. <laughs> And for those of you who don't know any German, the word nine in German is the word no. So there you go. How are you doing? It's a sunny afternoon. It's Monday, November 15th. It's beautiful here in Nashville. All of the trees are changing their colors. All the reds, all the yellows, all the oranges. It's it's amazing. And they're all going to be gone soon. And it'll officially be, before you know it, full-on holiday season. And some people are just itching to play the Christmas music. I know that there are some people who are not fans of Christmas music being played the day of Thanksgiving or any time before Thanksgiving, really. Are you one of those people? Well, I'm sorry to tell you that in Germany, when I lived there, speaking of Germany, they do not have Thanksgiving in their culture. That's an American thing. So they pretty much celebrate Christmas for two months straight. That's right. November and December is filled with Christmas markets and Christmas music. So I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I hate to drop that bomb on your spouse or whoever who is totally excited now that they have permission in some part of the world to listen to Christmas music for longer than what you'd like. There you go. <laughs> All right. So the, <laughs> the guest today is Cordell Raynock. And Cordell is a musician and a personal friend of mine here in Nashville. We've played music together in the studio. I've played drums on a few of his tracks. He's a great writer. We get into Cordell's artistic approach and what it looks like to write a song. We also get into uh, some religious things. Uh, Cordell is an active Mormon. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't have any Mormon friends. I think Cordell and his wife are my only Mormon friends. So I really wanted to ask him some questions about the Mormon church and his beliefs. And he was very kind enough to oblige and let me in on, you know, some of the things and the, and the questions that I had, he was able to answer. And, you know, we're, we're not experts here. We're not theologians, but, you know, it, when the opportunity strikes, sometimes you just got to take it. For those of you who are familiar with the podcast, you know that I'm obsessed with an instant pot. I've mentioned it before, but Cordell and his wife, Megan, were the ones who got me a, my Instant Pot for my birthday last year. Um, and I've used, I've used it a lot. I, you know, you hear me talking about it a lot. I just actually used it last week. I think after I posted the last podcast, the day after I was making a vegetarian pot roast. And hey, I'm not trying to preach like vegetarian and shove it down your throats. I'm just, that's just what I do. So that's what you're going to hear me talk about a lot. But, you know, I was seasoning the faux meat, the, the impossible grounds with onion and garlic and chili powder, cumin, and, you know, just trying to make it have some flavor and ended up doing an awesome pot roast that was a hit, I might say. All of the things that I've made in that Instant Pot have, like, I'd say over half the time. So let's say 75% of the things I've made, I feel like have been amazing. And it's because of Cordell. And Megan. So thank you guys again for the Instant Pot. Um, <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. I really am. You hear it in almost every episode <laughs> that's done in my living room now. So uh, talking about food, 
There is a small shop ran by a couple people in East Nashville called Gorilla Biscuits, and they are vegan biscuits. They are amazing. They do different types of breakfast biscuits that are made with vegan ingredients, and I cannot rave enough about them. They are like proof that it does not suck to be vegetarian or vegan. And even if like you're a meat eater, like... I, I'd say that if you're in the Nashville area or if you're ever passing through, like getting their biscuits, even if you want to take it home or back to your hotel with your bacon and eggs, just do it, man. It's so good. The other day I got the blackout and it's it's like a, a special biscuit that they do. It says on their website that it's a combination that'll leave you feeling what? That's the little emoji guy. That's what I envision. The the what emoji. It says our blackout biscuit strikes the perfect balance between tartness from dried cherries and heat from house-made pickled jalapenos. Plus, it's pink. That it is. It had a pink look to it, and it was delicious. <laughs> but no, seriously, Allie and Zach are very sweet people. So if you're ever in town, go get a biscuit from Gorilla Biscuits. You won't regret it. Uh, also, if you're in town, there is the shop called, uh, it's a record shop called The Groove. They just posted, I believe today or yesterday, that their property is looking to be sold. So they might be relocating or possibly purchasing uh, that property that they that they have their shop on. So that's just kind of where we are in the world today. You know, the, the small shops are small. And sometimes the market or, you know, just whatever town you're in, it's going to change. And I think it's important to keep these little indie shops around. So, you know, if you're in the area, if you're a vinyl nerd, I don't know if they do online orders or not, but they're definitely worth checking out. I found some amazing vinyl going over there to the groove. In fact, I think I posted it on my Instagram recently that I was able to get Charlie Brown's Great Pumpkin, uh, the soundtrack for that on vinyl and the vinyl was that cartoon orange and cut in the shape of a pumpkin. It was amazing. Like in, in the soundtrack's amazing. So I got that at the groove. They are locally owned by two people and their staff and the owners are the sweetest. They have a great collection of music. They have cassettes, even CDs for CD nerds like myself. Shout out to Jared Martin, who's also a CD nerd. Wink, wink. It's a great shop. So just check it out. They could use your support. Every little bit goes a long way. And we'll see what we can make happen. Who knows? Maybe they'll stay there. Maybe they'll be able to raise support and stay at that location for a long, long time. That would be cool. The only other thing that I think I need to give a shout out for is feversofthemind.com, a writing, poetry, short stories, website and art blog that is ran by my friend David Onan. And David recently interviewed me for the website. So that will be posted soon. Once it is up, I will be sure to let you all know where you can find that. That was a fun interview. Uh, I got to talk about the podcast and different aspects of running a podcast. So David is a, a very sweet person, an amazing writer. Highly recommend checking out the pieces that are posted over there in the community that they have. As always, you can also go to patreon.com forward slash clockwork nights and donate towards the show. Whether that be a, a one-time donation, whether you want to sign up to do the, the monthly for, you know, whatever amount, 
Anything helps and anything is greatly appreciated. I've mentioned it before. I'm still working on it, but I'm putting together an EP of instrumental music for the patrons of the show. We'll get for free. I'm also considering doing some merch. When I think of merch for podcasts, I immediately think of mugs and t-shirts. So I'm going to be coming up with that. And that could be some, some giveaways stuff or, you know, figure something out. And the patrons will get first pick. You know, something fun will always be given towards the patron. Again, that is patreon.com forward slash clockwork nights. Woo! There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about today. But I don't think that there is anything more important to talk about than this. How are you doing? How you doing? You doing all right? How is the month of November going for you? It can be crazy. We are, what, nine days away from Thanksgiving? Nine days away from seeing family members or friends that you aren't quite prepared to see yet. <laughs> and you know, let's just start here. Regardless of what's going on between you and that person or you and that side of the family, regardless of what's going on in their life or the thing that regardless of the thing that they did, okay, or you've done, have you checked in with yourself and, and, and taken care of yourself as of late? You know, are you getting that glass of the water from the fridge and having your moment? Are you able to get out of the, the funk easily or is, has it been harder lately? Do you have anxiety? Are you talking to people? about that anxiety. I just want you to know that if you're struggling with anxiety or especially around the holidays, because you know, it tends to kind of go up to 11 this time of year, just know this, you're accepted in this corner of the world. You don't have to change. You don't have to be anyone else, anything else than what you are right now, because who you are and what you are right now is enough. Just gonna say it again. You are accepted here and you're enough. I know that we all face different struggles. Mine look different from yours. And the advice that I could possibly hand over on this podcast may not fit your thing. But I can offer a place of solitude, a place that is welcoming. And that's what I want for you to experience while listening to the show and to my voice is just knowing that there's someone out there who can relate to some degree, maybe not on everything, but to some degree I can relate to, to the anxiety or the depression, the way that life can feel crippling at times. I get that. You're not alone in that. And there are plenty of resources out there for us who struggle with those crippling, crippling feelings. See, I, I'd be, it'd be so easy to just beat myself up and be like, I can't even talk straight, right? <laughs> and, and edit that out, look perfect, but I'm not, and that's okay. I can be a perfectionist. <laughs> Nervous laughs. You hear it? Yeah. Are you taking care of yourself? I think I am for me. I will make sure to 
keep myself in check here over the next few days. Make sure to not overly hype up or let my mind run too crazy. That way I can show up and be the best. The best. Here we go again. Goodness, can't talk today. The best version of myself. If for anyone, for me and my family. But you got to be the best version. <laughs> Cannot talk today. The best version for you. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it in here. Why not? Why not? <laughs> so hang in there. You know, find find your 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 solitude. Do do your box breathing. Check out the Calm app. You know, look for for different ways to to deal with things. Talk to a friend. Calm up. You know, don't hit the bottle too hard. Don't smoke too many cigarettes. Don't hurt yourself in trying to deal with the anticipation of seeing family. Just find your moment every day where you have some time to yourself and remind yourself you can also step away from the table regardless of what they think, regardless of what they say. You can still have your moment that day too. Sometimes it's 30 seconds, sometimes it's 30 minutes, but you can do it. It's all right. All right, that feels good to get that off my chest. I hope that helps. You can always write to me at clockworknightspodcast at gmail.com if you'd like to discuss anything, I don't know, mental health related, you know, let me know how you're doing. I always learn from you guys. Any any way that, uh, anything that you can share with me, that'd be helpful. I, I'd gr- greatly appreciate it. Cordell Raynock is my guest today. He is an amazing singer-songwriter here in Nashville, Tennessee. We've, like I said, gotten to do some work together. I'm really proud of the songs that he has written and allowed me to play on. You can check out Cordell's music on Spotify, as well as Cordell's Instagram, which is Cordell Dabbles. I will make sure to put the links to the Spotify and Instagram in the show notes. Please check out Cordell's music and check out Cordell's Instagram. It's a lot of fun. But here is my good friend, artist, singer-songwriter, the one and only, Cordell Raynock. Good morning. Welcome to my home. Yeah. <laughs> We've worked together as coworkers. We've also worked on music together. It's been a little over a year, I think, since we last saw each other. Yeah. Which is pretty yeah. wild. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's sad, but glad to be here. I mean, we we've stayed in contact with just luckily with social media and everything, which has been nice. So Yeah. And of course every time I use the instant pot, I think of you and Megan. Yeah. <laughs> How's that been going for you? Dude, okay, so I'm most excited about the last butternut squash soup that I made mm. because as a vegetarian, I'm always trying to figure out how to get more protein yeah. in my diet without going to process faux meats. Mm-hmm. So predominantly um, beans and greens. Yeah. So the other night, the way that I started our butternut squash soup is I took a can of great northern white beans mm-hmm. and then white cannelli beans. Yeah. And I put them in a little um, blender first and I pureed them. Hmm. And then I put them in the Instant Pot. And then I put 
the the veggie stock that I was going to use, like just the full amount. And I stirred all of that up together. Yeah. And then I put all the chopped veggies in and just made sure I had enough liquid for the instant pot to, to pressure cook. Did you invent this? Is this something you looked up or like, I, what is this? I was driving down 65 South and I was like, I wonder if I puree beans that like that can like get the beans in there. Mm-hmm. And if I just put enough of everything else in that I normally do, that mm-hmm. it'll mask the bean taste. There was a, a hint of it. I yeah. wouldn't say it was strong, but it was successful because it, I also didn't have to thicken it with any milk or butter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was great. Dude, hey, <laughs> you're onto something. That's nice. It was it was so good. It was nice and thick and not too watery. Mm-hmm. It wasn't too thick either. Like, I don't know the ratio of the liquid I used, but yeah. <laughs> I just... I grabbed the box and I just started like going. I was like, that looks about right. <laughs> you just start a blog or something to <laughs> get people on your little recipe inventions. Yeah. We have uh, one of our favorite recipes in the Instant Pot is a um, vegetarian recipe. It's a wild rice Ooh. soup. And it's, it's not like soupy. It's it's pretty thick. But yeah. It's super good. Yeah, we'll have to pass that recipe on to you. Love it. Stuff. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. What's the last year been like for you? It's been pretty routine. Yeah. Know? Wake up, work. Megan, my wife, has been uh, entering her fourth year of her PhD program mm. uh, at Vanderbilt and just starting the dissertation phase. So uh-huh. we are here for another couple years. And sadly, we'll probably, unfortunately, be leaving Nashville in a couple years, which mm. is it's sad for me. I've, I actually, like, growing up, I wanted to live in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um and I was really excited when we got the opportunity to. So it's sad to think that this phase of our life could be ending. But yeah, um, I don't know how I got into that after you asked how the last year of our life went. But no, yeah, mean, that's kind of what that's, that's kind are. of the phase that we're in right now. I mean, nothing crazy has been happening for us. It's been you know, a routine year: wake up, yeah. work, you know, find things to do in the in the evenings, and uh, yeah. Even when we were doing drums a year ago. It's like one of those things where a year ago, it just felt still so kind of locked down mm-hmm. kind of feeling or, or going out was just very yeah, cautious. It, and there were, it was just you, myself, Sam, who mm-hmm. engineered that day. Yeah. And we just tried to keep it minimal. I remember even like we weren't like hugging or... <laughs> yeah, that was just such interesting times. We were still weren't sure what the boundaries were, you know. And what we should and shouldn't be doing. So yeah, just try to keep it safe, <laughs> keep distance and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, I thought back to that a couple of times. I know that like you were wearing a mask for most of the time, and I, I was like, oh, interesting. Clark is wearing a mask. Should I be doing that? <laughs> like, like it? Because I think it was still a little bit early for that. I think it was a little over. Was it a, a little over a year ago? Or it was late summer. Yeah. Not quite fall. I yeah. feel like it was September yeah. ish. But yeah, I mean, I probably would have worn a mask a little yeah. bit a couple <laughs> months later. But, yeah. but it was still uh, early on and I didn't really know. You know yeah. I was wearing everything. I think like I took the, also having worked from home, anytime I went out, it was just like I wasn't yeah. used to being around people. Yeah. And at that point for six months, and that was like a whole new feeling. And then mm. kind of like that feeling of when you've had vacation and then you have to go back to work it's like oh i've got to make sure like i'm socially like 
yeah. prepared <laughs> to mm-hmm. see people right now. Yeah, I think anytime I went out for a grocery run, it was just like I'm wearing a mask because I don't understand this. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm not a doctor, but like, or a disease expert, but like, it just it was so so bizarre, and to be met with a lot of scrutiny or doubt or disbelief in, in certain aspects of COVID is just mm-hmm. like, it's kind of hard to know how to approach those conversations and try to, at least with people who I personally know who may have a different opinion than myself, like definitely trying to approach it with a lot of love. Yeah, <laughs> And I, I feel like that was something as well, you know, and, and we don't have to hit all the, the big world topics, but we don't want to, but I, I just feel like that was something I admired about you during 2020 as well with the election I saw you engaging on social media a lot with people in your life that held very strong opinions about one person or the other right. you know or maybe even bringing up names that weren't strong candidates for the presidential election mm-hmm. yeah and I just I just wanted to always say like I always thought highly of how you were able to communicate with love with those very heavy yeah. concerns. <laughs> and a year ago, it was very heavy. Oh, man. It was tough. Yeah, it absolutely was. And yeah, you have to approach it from that. Like, these are people that I love, that I've respected growing up. Uh, and even if we strongly disagree now, like, I don't want to ruin a friendship or relationship or... Um, total respect for that person over this one facet of their life that they've really held strongly to. Mm-hmm. Um, Megan was um, found some interesting research uh, the other day. I hope I don't mis- misinterpret this, but it has to do with sharing fake news on social media. Mm. Um, and the research kind of shows that when fake news is shared, it has less to do with, what was it? It has less to do with the, the, the strongest motivator in sharing fake news is just being so strongly rooted in that belief. It's not that they necessarily believe what they're sharing. It's just that they're so strongly rooted that they want to share it in order to continue feeling like they can hold such a strong position in, in what they believe. I am botching that. and <laughs> <laughs> It's all right. But yeah, it's, there's some interesting research around that. So yeah, it's, there's some interesting research around that. So you just got to know that like some people just are really passionate about how they feel yeah. about certain topics and it doesn't make them an evil person necessarily. Sure. Or not necessarily. It doesn't make them an evil person, I don't believe. Right. Um, even they, if we they, strongly disagree. Yeah. There's also so many factors as to why maybe someone feels like they need to share something or stand by an issue. That's also something that having more time at home, thinking through um, maybe different group things that I've been involved in, um, you know, having a group mentality or, you know, like myself, I I grew up in church. So being a part of that kind of um, group or community growing up my whole life, Mm -hmm. the decisions that I made early on were directly influenced by those that I was surrounded by. Absolutely. You know, and so I try to have a little bit more empathy with certain people who who maybe believe in something that I think is just all out wrong 
you know, and then if there is a level of, you know, care when they're trying to present something to me, or if I see that there is, you know, an opportunity to engage in a healthy way, you know, most of the time I, I tend to just kind of leave it. That's my personality is like, well, like I don't, maybe I don't know them. Like I'm not yeah. going to jump into a, an yeah. argument that with people yeah. I don't know. I do that too. I mean, I don't engage in every opportunity. I would be a miserable person. Yeah. If I did. <laughs> it's not a happy thing. Yeah. You know, there are times where I felt uh, like I needed to engage or wanted to engage. And yeah. 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 And it, it, I guess my, my point is, is like, I, I, I'm just trying to meet people that I love and care about where they are mm-hmm. and just try and start there because there's probably something about my belief system or what maybe I'm experiencing or seeing that is also off or altered mm-hmm. that that person potentially could shed some light on yeah. one day. Yeah. And kind of like you said, I don't want to close things off. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. I mean, if you think about how you, change someone's mind. I mean, that's not necessarily the goal and of engaging mm. those conversations. Uh, it could be, but like you're never going to move someone's position by coming from a position of anger or hate or malintent. Like you influence others through I, I personally believe you you can best influence others by by being respectful and showing love mm. uh, towards them while still standing firmly in, in how you feel and what you believe. Sure. And I, I think it's interesting. I, I, you know, every now and then I'll see someone post on social media saying, you know, everyone should stop having arguments on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, stop debating on social media. You're never going to influence someone. Well, I think back to my personal experience. Over the last 10 years, my mind has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And reading social media discussions has been a large part of that. Not that like everyone is perfectly informed, but it gets me thinking about other positions and sure. how other people feel, especially people who have grown up in similar communities to me who believe differently than a lot of the people in that community. I'm like, okay, wow, they can they're a part of this community, but they believe differently. What like where what point of view are they coming from? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to learn. So I um yeah, I've been influenced by debates and stuff on social media. So sure, same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's an avenue for people to talk. Mm-hmm. Maybe people from further parts of the world than, <laughs> yeah, you know, doors back in the day was at the, you know, I don't know. I just envisioned like a Western town with like the post office <laughs> yeah. next to like the market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you are originally not. You're you're not from Nashville, no, from uh, Virginia, Virginia. Yeah, uh, a town outside of Richmond called Mechanicsville, Virginia, kind of like uh, suburb area of Richmond. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've not had the opportunity to see a lot of Virginia. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever driven through that state. Mm. Is it hilly? It's not super flat. Like there are pretty parts to it, right? Oh yeah, it's beautiful. You know, uh, you have the Appalachian Mountains that run through it. Oh. So, uh, like you. Here we have the Smoky Mountains, uh-huh. that same range. Um, like Eastern Tennessee has the Smoky Mountains. North Carolina has the Smoky Mountains. It's the same mountain range that goes up through Virginia. It just, they start calling it the Blue Ridge Mountains. So Appalachians run through Virginia. So when we do a drive from Nashville out to Richmond, it's amazing. It's a beautiful drive the whole like 10 hours, mm-hmm. or nine or 10 hours, whatever it is. Um, 
is beautiful. I mean, the drive from here to Eastern Tennessee is beautiful rolling hills and yeah. any time of year, it's just a beautiful drive. And then you're driving up um, along the mountains for like several hours going through them uh, up in Virginia. And then it gets a little bit flat, but then, you know, two hours from the mountains, you hit the bay, the Chesapeake Bay and the ocean. So you have beach, you have mountains, you have a little bit of everything. I grew up smack dab in the middle. So yeah. Uh, short drive to the mountains, short drive to the ocean, and yeah, <laughs> that's cool. great. Yeah, yeah. You, whenever you travel, you're always posting like some amazing photos or videos of nature. Yeah, like, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I try to take a little panoramic snapshot, you know. Yeah. Of, of in time, yeah. And and you've told me that you grew up in a pretty artistic family. Mm -hmm. Did your parents or your family go out into nature a lot or travel a lot? Um, not necessarily okay. like I mean I mean yes like we did trips to the mountains and trips to the beach and it was nice because like I don't know I think my parents wanted to avoid weekends so pick me up out of school and we go and <laughs> every now and then so yeah that was that was always fun um we do like beach days in the middle of the week on a, in the school year and you know those are good memories I'll probably mm -hmm. do that if we end up having kids someday and <laughs> yeah <laughs> um just like you know some of the best memories um but apart from like official family trips, though, I, I grew up kind of in a more rural suburb area. We had woods in our backyard, and I just grew up exploring. You know? Really? After school, head out with my friends or just alone, just head down to the creek and walk along and explore. I loved like finding cool looking rocks and, you know, just like exploring nature, finding cool things out in, out in the woods and you know, being awesome. Yeah, I come home from school in elementary school, early middle school, and just like, out to the woods yeah and was that time like for you like was that kind of a, a rejuvenating time like like or like sure yeah I yeah mean, like what, it was just exploration did you need a break fun. from the friends or no, not necessarily it was actually probably when my friends weren't available to play i love playing with friends too so yeah i get home from school knock on all the doors no one knows home i got in the woods <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah so. i i don't know as a kid if i thought conceptually about rejuvenation it well sure like, yeah yeah but yeah <laughs> i guess like now looking back on it sorry, such, a, <laughs> such an interesting word um now i think about that now yeah. i think about I've been sitting on a computer for eight hours. I need to be rejuvenated. I need to go outside. You know, I think about that now. Yeah. As a kid, it was just like, I need something to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. I want to go out and play. I want to go out and explore. Yeah. yeah. And so there was there was a kind of an exploring aspect yeah. to your personality early on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you've you've even mentioned you enjoy cycling and and, and hiking yeah. here as much as you can. So it seems like that's part of your childhood. Is yeah, actually part of the reason. And when cycling, more than anything, I'm, I'm enjoy mountain biking. And okay, um, mountain biking is just a way from. I see it as a way for me to like do a fast hike. I guess you could say. Sure, <laughs> it's pretty engaging. Mountain biking is engaging because, I mean, I do some road biking too for like just pure fitness reasons. But mountain biking, I love because your mind is is engaged. Like you're going over roots, you're going over rocks, you're going on an uneven terrain and so you're always looking five feet ahead 15 ahead 15 feet ahead 30 feet ahead like scanning the horizon and engaging yeah. your mind and you take stops and check out your surroundings and yeah it's pretty it's pretty fun i don't do any of like going off jumps or anything on a mountain bike i'm sure. more of an explorer i do what's called like cross-country mountain biking okay just get out and 
get some exercise, which I enjoy as well, and then just be out in nature. Yeah, yeah you're not a crash kid. Like you're not a. <laughs> that's what <laughs> yeah. that's what I call them. At least I learned that term when I was in Germany. Mm. I had a couple of friends there who were super into extreme sports with mountain bikes and yep. they were jumping off all the cliffs and hills and I just remember someone was like, yeah, they're crash kids. Yeah. <laughs> they get hurt a lot and they're not afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was as a kid actually, I would build little jumps in my backyard. Yeah? And, yeah, and always get injured, always get the wind knocked out of me. <laughs> it was like once a week I would have like, like a minute where I couldn't breathe and you know, actually, I had I actually had a bike crash just a couple weeks ago. Actually, oh, bummer. Yeah, you all right? Road bike. It was the first time I had really crashed and felt like a kid again. Oh, I mean, wow. it, I mean, it doesn't feel good as an adult to crash sure. and get the wind knocked out of you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty pretty brutal. So, yeah, I was just. It was a beautiful morning a couple weekends ago. Um, we had someone coming to the house. I was like, I have 20 minutes. I'm just going to take an easy bike ride, just an easy bike ride, not like exercising or anything. I was just like, this is a pure joy ride. Mm -hmm. Just got on my bike. We have a little park by our house and that's paved. So I was out on the bike. It was, it's kind of a newer bike to me. It's a road bike with very thin tires. So mountain bikes are, have big knobby tires and they can, yeah. you know, they have a lot better traction. And this newer bike that um, not really as used to, I took it out. I was going around a curve again, not super fast, um, but I was going. I went over some wet leaves on a mountain bike. Ah. It didn't matter, but uh, on a road bike, it just both of my tires yeah. just got swept out. And I took all the impact on my shoulder, so I haven't been doing much with my shoulder. But I had the wind knocked out of me. It felt a lot worse than it was at first. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to go to the hospital or something." Yeah, but uh, no, it ended up being okay. I caught my breath and gained my composure and walked my bike back home and. Felt like a kid coming inside to Megan and was like, I crashed on my bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I was just like, oh no, are you okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Felt like a kid again. But everything you, you said. No, my shoulder doesn't feel like a kid again. Yeah. You know, I could have taken that uh, really easily as a kid, but yeah, I'm still, still getting better with my shoulder. Yeah. Good. Well, I have a good <laughs> chiropractor who's affordable. Yeah. Okay. And if you know. Yeah. I think it's more of like a tendon thing. I don't know if they do anything with tendons, but they do uh, physical therapy as well. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's. I think that's probably more the direction that I need. So, <laughs> yeah, being an adult can't take it like I used to. It's it's not fun. I feel like I run into things all the time. I'm learning that the older I get, I'm a little clumsier than I would like to admit. Because mm. I'll wake up yeah. one day and it's like I've got a bruise on my shin or my knee. I'm like, when did I? Do that. What did yeah. I, I know what you're talking walk about. into? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my mind when I'm like mm -hmm. just getting up to go get a drink yeah. or do something in the house? Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, I know that feeling. So, uh, working on any music right now? I've noticed yeah. you changed the social or at least Instagram from mm -hmm. Cordell Music to Cordell, Cordell Dabbles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting that you noticed that. Oh, I mean, it'd be pretty easy to notice, but yeah, it is for a reason. So first of all, yeah, I am working on some music. It's uh, it's a slow process right now for me. Um, I work very linearly where I come up with the concept for a song, I work on it, I write it, come up with a guitar portion, I begin recording, I record the vocals, then I bring in all the other instruments and mix, master, release, and start the process over. Mm. I'm not working on a lot of things in tandem. 
I do have a lot of like voice memos where I just have very basic concepts. Yeah. And so I'll pick up with one of those on my next song. But yeah, I work very linearly. Um, and so I end up releasing a song every, what, three, four, five months or something like that. Yeah. Um, I work on it when I have time. And so I'm not gaining as much uh, experience as someone who does this for a living or does it even part-time where they're working on multiple songs at once and they get really fast. I'm pretty slow through the production and mixing process mm. just because I have to watch YouTube videos and stuff. And it's good. I, I like learning about that stuff. Yeah. I think ideally I would be able to write a song, participate in the production process and let everyone else do the rest and it comes out exactly how I want it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the ideal scenario, but that's not the reality. And so, you know, I work on it. And this song that I've been working on has been really slow. I've had to go back and re-record. Like just the other day, I realized I'm never going to fix these vocals. They have too much pops, too much sibilance. I'm going to have to re-record. Mm. So I re-recorded vocals. Now I have to re-comp them, remix them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, that's okay. It's just a slow process for but, sure. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'll just take a break for a week. I'm like, I'm I'm a little sick of this song. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it helps me enjoy other pieces of music that maybe aren't my favorite genre mm -hmm. just because it's like I still when I recognize a good song it's like there was work put oh yeah into that you know work, yeah yeah <laughs> so when people who are not musicians or in the in the industry who are super critical of like a song mm -hmm. or something I'm just like dude yeah <laughs> no I, I I get it like um I will sometimes listen to pop music for the pure production aspect. You know, mm. some of the radio pop music, not only sometimes can it be a guilty pleasure, but uh, yeah, it can it has amazing productions. I'm just like, how did they do that? And yeah. just like taking little, taking notes on kind of what they're doing. I mean, the stuff that gets played on the radio, even though it's not what I listen to, to enjoy necessarily all the time, they're doing cutting edge techniques and practices and. It's pretty interesting to learn from what they're doing. So absolutely, yeah. yeah. Just from a pure listening from a pure production standpoint, a pure mixing standpoint is is enjoy enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the, and your songs tend to have a lot of guitar in them. Is guitar your main instrument? Um, yeah, I, I would say it is. I'm not like a guitarist. I, I wouldn't say I'm a guitarist. I, I play guitar enough to be able to write a song. Mm. Yeah. I would say primarily I would see myself as a songwriter. That's what I enjoy. That's the pro part of the process sure. that I feel most confident about. Yeah. And I play enough guitar to be able to write a song. I'm not someone who spends a lot of time learning new techniques. Not that I'm against. I, I love listening to amazing guitarists. I, sure. I really appreciate guitar. I love just like learning about guitars and how they work and just the different sounds of the different types of bodies and everything. But um, that's not uh, your interest. That's it, it. It is interesting to me, but I don't spend a lot of time learning new techniques on the guitar. Okay, and all, stuff like that. Like, yeah, I would say um, how I got into guitar. The person that inspired me to get into guitar uh -huh. is actually someone who's here local called, named Tyler Bryant. It was just like I think it was back in 2012. I was just on iTunes. It was an iTunes store recommendation. Mm. And I listened to them. I was like, man, I really dig this. So I started watching some of their YouTube videos and I saw him playing a resonator guitar slide. I was like, oh. that's what I want to play. I want to play slide guitar. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never really played guitar at all, ever. Not even strummed a chord. 
And so I went and, and bought a guitar, started watching like beginner guitar videos and learned to strum chords. I can play chords. I can play bar chords. I'm like a campfire guitarist <laughs> is what you would say. Sure, yeah. Um, Me too. I'm not someone <laughs> who, who's playing crazy licks or anything. Yeah. Um, and I would love to be able to. Shoot, I would shred sure. if I could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I can't. That's not the reality. And so... Uh, I learned enough to understand how the guitar works, and then I moved straight into slide guitar. And that's when I pick up a guitar and play, 90% of the time I'm playing slide mm. um, in open tunings. And so that, that's what I play. That's what I write in is open tunings, slide guitar. And so I would describe my guitar playing all my songs as rhythm guitar with an occasional lick. Mm. And it's enough. And that's all I feel like my songs need. I mean, I would love to have someone else play on my songs and, and just shred guitar every now and then. But that, you know, I, I I play rhythm guitar with an occasional lick in between verses or during a bridge or whatever it is. You know, yeah, that that's kind of uh, what I play, and it's sufficient um, to be able to get across the music that I want this, to to back the the singing and songwriting. And I also make a point to keep it pretty basic because when I do play live. I want it to translate. I mm. want to be able to play my own songs. Sure. And so I don't spend a lot of time like coming up with something crazy and doing a ton of takes uh, just for the sake of having a great lick or a great solo on a song because I want to be able to turn around and play that live when I yeah. play live shows. So, yeah. I, I can appreciate that. And then on top of that, you're still putting out songs that are enjoyable. Like they don't yeah. need yeah, I, I all think the so. bells and whistles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it's good. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll think about that. Uh, when I'm listening to a song, I'm like, this song is really good. And the instrumentation, it's nothing crazy, but it, it just comes together to form a really good song. The lyrics are good. And I feel good listening to it. So yeah. that's, the kind of th that's the kind of approach I take to making my music. Yeah, and the style that you have kind of also leans itself to kind of a, a bare bones mm -hmm. approach. Exactly. Which yeah, is would you say that it it's like kind of a bluesy? How would you describe? I I say blues infused okay. alternative, okay. or, or yeah. rock, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I do have slides, so that's where the blues vibe comes in. But I'm not a blues guitarist. Like blues guitarists are pretty good. <laughs> Someone who considers himself a blues guitarist is really good at what they do. Yeah. Um. So I say blues infused because you get that feeling when the slide is going up and down the neck of the guitar. Mm. Um, and that comes through in my song. So I say blues infused, kind of alternative rock, you know, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Is there slide on I Know? How can I know? Yeah. Yep. There's slide okay. on every single song. It might be more subtle on some. Okay. But every single song is okay. slide guitar. Yeah, because I, I, I can still hear the picking. And I guess I'm like, I didn't know if I was yeah. admit in... Uh, in Imagining the slide there, or make yeah, it up. some songs I'll use a pick. Some song, songs I'll use uh, just my fingers to pluck the strings, but mm -hmm. I'll always have a slide on as well. Sometimes I'll, I'll fret. I, I do fret strings sometimes. It's not always like the slide on the strings, but I'll fret and then I'll go into slide. What's fretting? Just like fret a note with my finger. Okay, so like like just just put my finger down on the string. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, like fret like. When you hold down a chord, you're fretting notes. Sure. Yeah. Um, but like, do you just hit it without strumming yeah, as you well? Have your, you have the slide on your pinky uh -huh. or on your ring finger, and I'll fret with my um, 
pointer finger or my middle finger. Oh. Just like for little power chords and stuff, okay. stuff like that. Or, or like a turnaround when you do a blues turnaround is dun, 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 dun. And so I'll fret that part. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have a metal slide and I do not enjoy it. I would rather have a, I think a glass slide. Yeah. Is there, does that, would that make it? <laughs> yeah. I, weight can be a factor. Okay. To how much, uh, you enjoy a slide. There is a curve, a learning curve with a slide. Okay. I don't know if I call it a learning curve, but just getting used to it, sitting on the strings. At first, you'll get a lot of buzzing because you don't know how hard to press. Uh huh. Um, and so there's, you just develop uh, pressure sensitivity over over time to how hard you press the the slide down on the strings. It also helps to have a higher action. So all my guitars, I've mm. taken to a shop and I've got a higher nut uh, on the uh, guitar so that the strings sit a bit further off. And yeah. so that helps the helps keep the strings from buzzing. Also a higher gauge string. Mm. Um, so uh, I would say since my guitars do have a bit higher action and a higher gauge, they're less conducive to um, really good soloing or anything without a slide. You know, okay. you can't really pick and shred. Um, you can't really shred as easily with a high action, high string, uh, high gauge strings, um, as opposed to someone who has like a strat with really loose yeah. strings that can just like bend and play. You can't really do that with my my guitars. Okay. So action, the gauge of the strings uh, contributes to the playability. Uh, and then you just get a feel over time of how much pressure to put down. And like glass slides um, and uh, brass slides, uh, there's also ceramic slides, mm. they all, contribute to how much sustain you have. Um, and also the weight is a factor. You can move a, light, a glass slide a lot quicker than you can a brass slide. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, uh, they're lighter weight in general. Um, yeah. All those factors go into it. That's good to you, know. I have like... I have the one or, and it, it feels Yeah, awkward. I have like six or seven slides. Oh, um, cool. I've gotten used to playing like all of them, but I'll go through phases where I like one more than the other. Um, and yeah. Cool. I'm still trying to find the perfect slide. It's a constant, constant uh, <laughs> journey. <laughs> so they themselves are kind of a an instrument as well, and yeah, or to, it, it, to play the instrument. Yeah, it, it enables a different technique. It's it's beautiful, actually. I mean, the thing about a slide is that you're not. Um, I mean, the the iconic sound of a slide guitar is that you're not limited to a fret. You have semitones in between uh, mm. notes and everything. You're you're literally sliding up. It replicates the human voice, um, kind of like a lot of string instruments, where you can play. You're you're not limited to frets, like a lot of uh, like the cello, violin. You can play in between notes and slide up and down. And so, um, yeah, what like just like fretting a guitar string. I mean, I guess you can bend a guitar string, but sure. yeah, a slide guitar moving up and down the neck fairly quickly. It's kind of like the human voice, where you you're not the human voice isn't limited to certain notes it's not like you sing and you go up and down uh, 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 no right. it's uh, it's uh, you mm-hmm. know so yeah wow and growing up did you have a lot of music in the house like how did you get into music i um yeah i would say my family listened to music you know road trips of course like iconic uh like family road trip kind of music that uh those kind of like root in kind of what you really love, what you really like. We would listen to like 
Elton John and stuff on on road trips. Yeah, and, you know, good old good old road road trip music. And to me, to my family, that was road trip music. Yeah, like yeah, my earliest experiences with music is pretty much getting on my siblings like Kazaa and <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I don't that that was the name of an early platform, right? Just like yeah, yeah, Kazaa. I haven't heard that one in a minute. Oh yeah, man, yeah, get on on their Kazaa like. Pretty much where you're illegally downloading music and right. just like listening to to their stuff, which was all over the place. Um, just uh, I don't know, thinking back to some of the earliest stuff like Green Day and everything like that. Yeah, I remember the first song that I listened to that I felt like was my song that I really liked. And, and looking back now, I was like, man, I was a little kid. That was kind of a rough song to really like. Was uh, Brain Stew by Green Day? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just have vivid memories of like listening to that song and being like, this is my song. This yeah. is me. <laughs> it's everything in that song sounds huge. Yeah, and going back to like simplicity, like they're yeah. not doing a lot exactly to drive yeah. that song. Yeah. So that that was the early song. Um, yeah, just stuff like that. I would also actually. Just like random songs on the radio, I would come home and like turn on the radio after school and just listen, hoping like some of my favorite songs would come on and yeah, listening to those and just waiting for the next time I could hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, not really having access to a way of like getting it on a device or anything, just like just anticipating. I think that's actually kind of a, a fun way to listen to music, not knowing when the next time you'll hear it is. You know? Yeah. It's kind of interesting times, but. Yeah, those were kind of my early experiences, listening to a lot of what my siblings did. And then as I got older, later in middle school and high school, I listened to, I went through a phase where I listened to a lot of rap. Um, and then uh, got into, you know, I, I think it correlates with teenage angst. Mm. Um, uh, listening to like very heavy uh, metal and like screamo and stuff like that. Just like a lot of that kind of more, the more extremes of music that, yeah. uh, that you get into, and I still like a lot of that stuff. I mean, I don't listen to it all the time, but for just for the sake of going back and listening, nostalgia, I'll, I'll go back and listen to sure. some of that stuff. But, like what? What? What's that? This is new to me. I didn't know that you listen to heavy music at some point. Like what was? Oh, it was like probably for- it's probably very mainstream for heavy music, but like screamo. Oh man, but like bullet for my Valentine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know I can't think of a lot of those groups right now. It's all right. Yeah, just some heavier stuff, you know. Yeah. How many older siblings, younger siblings? You in the middle? All older or? siblings. I'm the baby by far of the family. So Man. all my siblings, I have five older siblings. They're like a year apart or a year and a half apart or so. Um, and then I came eight years later. So like I'm eight years younger than my closest sibling. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I'm... I, I can relate to that to some degree because I'm not only the baby of the family, but my siblings and I were all seven years apart. Some space, yeah. So my wow, a lot of space there, yeah. Yeah, and maybe kind of maybe the how much older you're is the, the oldest, and yeah. So yeah. The so there's a phase, is, there's a large phase of your life where you're like an only child. Yes, <laughs> pretty yes. much. Oh, so you know that aspect too. Oh yeah, yeah. Because if there is an eight year gap, then by the time you're ten ish, mm-hmm. maybe someone's starting to think about going away to. Mm-hmm. To move out, or yeah, yeah. You know. yeah, I was 11 when I became the only child at home for <laughs> the remainder of my time. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of wild because it's like you get to look back on photos when everyone's still together, and then you're the one who's kind of left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <behind>. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, all the photos with your 
with my siblings, I'm like a little baby, and then all of a sudden they're all gone, and it's just me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I think that like you know, it's just one of those things for me. I um, I just came to accept like that's just like kind of our family dynamic, mm-hmm. and you know, like it. Yes, I wish some days that I had a sibling. Um, you know, like I have two sisters and there's maybe phases where I'm like, oh, I wish I had a brother. Or, oh, I wish I just had a, a sibling, you know, closer in age. Right. Um, but just grateful that, you know, as, as wide of a range as we have an age, we try our best to communicate. Have a relationship. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I have a pretty, I mean, I'm on good terms with all my siblings. We get together when we can. Um, and yeah, it, I, I still think there's a rich family experience, even if you have large gaps. I mean, if you make an effort to keep a good relationship, um, it can still be a rich you know, family mm-hmm. relationship, even if you didn't spend a lot of time, a lot of your prime years in your home together. Um, it still can be a rich family relationship there. Yeah, that's good to hear. I know that you've mentioned, especially when we were working on One Day I'll Know, you had mentioned that you wrote that song, you were writing a message to the church or the religious circle that you grew up around, Mm -hmm. which we've touched lightly on here and there in conversation. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, you you grew up Mormon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I still am. Something that I'm I'm interested in asking, like I have very few Mormon friends. Yeah, I know that you've offered like, hey, like anytime you want to ask questions, <laughs> and I sure. don't mean to put you on the spot with the podcast, but <laughs> yeah, let's let's open it up. <laughs> so for me, the the church that I grew up in was Southern Baptist, so music mm-hmm. and art sometimes was frowned upon mm. in okay. the church that I grew up in. Yeah, if it was secular or not church influenced, mm-hmm. even for some family members, it was difficult when I picked up drums because drums for so long in Southern Baptist church were seen as evil or oh, really? a gateway to oh, yeah, other yeah. bad things. Yeah. And so I've always been interested in, in that, like for, you know, you've been very open with me about how artistic your family and your siblings are. And, and I think one of your sisters paints or, or sketches. Yeah. All my and, siblings contribute to the art in one way or another. <laughs> yeah. And so you have a family like that and then, I know very little about Mormonism. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, so, that. I mean, that's what people re, people refer to us as as Mormons. Mormonism is a way to talk about is a term to talk about the body of beliefs and the people. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's a nickname. We don't necessarily refer to ourselves as Mormons unless oh, we do okay. it really quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's been a name for members of our church since the very beginning, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. What, how, I mean, where'd the name come from? Like is, um, yeah. So and if uh, you, I don't expect <laughs> you to be an expert either. Oh, no. so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will preface this whole conversation with, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a scriptorian, not a historian, Yeah. but I have spent a lot of my life in the church and studying these topics. So, and I spent two years as a missionary uh, for the church. I know a lot. Um, I don't know everything, and I don't know all the details. I don't know all the context. Yeah, um, but uh, I have dove pretty deep into a lot of these topics, so I feel comfortable answering almost any question. Cool. So, the term uh, Mormon comes from the Book of Mormon. Okay. 
which is a book of scripture that we have and along with the Bible. And so since that's something that is distinct to our church, people call us, called us Mormons. Okay. But the name of our church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. Um, and some people like the Latter-day Saint portion, some people will call us LDS or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and this is a mouthful, but we generally would say we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's a, it's a long thing. I'm not offended by the term Mormon or anything. Okay. It, 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 it has helps. had negative connotations in the past, Okay, but we've also embraced it at times. Mm-hmm. And just because it's a way for people to recognize who we are. So yeah, it's a perfectly okay term for me. Yeah. And thank you for clarifying um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Latter-day Saints, yeah. Okay. Did you say it was shortened as LDS? LDS is LDS. what some people okay. said. Mm-hmm. So that was something I, did, I intentionally did not Google that before hanging out because I was yeah. like trying to, <laughs> piece together some little knowledge I had. I was like, I think it could be similar or related. I didn't know if it was the same. So yep. that explanation clears up a lot yep. for me. And I feel like now that I know that there are also musicians out in the world who are part of the LDS church. Mm-hmm. Yep, or, exactly. Okay. You're, okay. Um, I'm, you're not going to offend me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get it right. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. If you want to get yeah. it right, that's fine. Okay. Um, but there's but, yeah, musicians and artists who are open about their beliefs coming out of LDS and, mm-hmm. um, or are still in it. And um, it seems like there is maybe a support for that as well. Yeah. yeah there's not, um, we have beliefs about, um, yeah, probably people steer clear of like, um, probably generally steer clear of like cursing of very like sexual topics and mm-hmm. talking about things that we would deem inappropriate, but there's not really boundaries in terms of the types of music we would listen to and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say I, I've been the best during my life of consuming like uh, music and media that is perfectly in line with how I feel and what I believe um, Sure, just because we're surrounded by it. I, like the sound of a lot of music and things like that. So, you know, obviously listening, growing up listening to Screamo every now and then. I mean, um, I, I was pretty independent in my family. My It's not like my parents were monitoring everything I was doing. So yeah, mm-hmm. I listened to some of that stuff and um, mostly because I enjoyed the, the sound of it and everything. But um, I wouldn't listen to it in front of my parents probably. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, generally supportive of the arts. There's nothing that says you can't like be a musician or you can't. Uh, be an artist or anything like that. Mm. Just kind of, we would probably generally steer clear of topics that we would deem inappropriate or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, I know that we've also talked very, you know, a little bit about like uh, certain things that you won't consume. Like, is there kind of a a rule or an encouragement? There's like a a health code. Yeah. Health code. Okay. Um, it's it's called the word of wisdom. I mean, we don't say that. I mean, necessarily, but okay. that's what it was called. Um, it was uh, an early recommendation um, to not consume certain products, uh, and such as coffee, tea, tobacco, alcohol. Um, it started as a recommendation and turned into something that. Uh, is now like a guideline for church members mm. that we don't consume those things. It's it's a health code. Um, I think 
it started as that. I, I think um, it's not necessarily normal for like a Western Christian religion to have something like that. But mm-hmm. you know, a lot of religions over time have had health codes about what they consume and what they don't. Sure, you can come up with justifications for why it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like a health code that we've been asked to live by. Yeah, not necessarily for. I mean, there's some of those things you could justify and say there's nothing wrong with coffee or tea or alcohol. Um, I don't think those things are evil. We don't think those things are evil. Uh-huh. It's just like a, a guideline for what we uh, should consume or what we should not consume. Okay. There are also things about like eating meat sparingly um, and uh, yeah, different recommendations like that. Yeah. But, and, you know, interesting, like at that time, um, those products were like widely consumed uh, among members of the church, especially like tobacco in those days. There, mm. We didn't really know a lot of the health consequences of that. Sure. Since then, we've learned about those. And so a lot of people will look back and say, you know, that's why we're told not to uh, smoke or consume tobacco is um, because of the health consequences. And, you know, th- you can look back and justify like that. But at the end of the day, it's just like a guideline that we've been asked to live by. Is there a teaching as well that like your body is a small temple as well. Yeah, we say temple and your body is a temple. Your body is sacred. We do believe that. That's absolutely a part of what we believe. We believe that's part of the reason why we've come to earth is to receive a body, um, to experience mortality, to Mm -hmm. prepare to return to God with, uh, um, uh, yeah, we believe it's a sacred part of who we are. Um, Mm -hmm. we, we believe that, um, First, we are spirits. I think there's the phrase, I don't know who I can attribute it to, but um, let me think of how this goes. We are, and this is not like a, a scripture or anything, but it explains well kind of what we believe, mm-hmm. that we're not humans that have spiritual experiences, but rather we are spirits having a human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we are spirits primarily. We were in God's presence before this life. Mm-hmm. We came to earth to experience mortality, to receive a body. It is something that is sacred that we should care for. And um, that one day we will re- pass away from this life, that we return to God, that we'll re- be resurrected with a perfected body, mm-hmm. with the experiences of mortality, and that will be important to kind of our eternal life hereafter. That's kind of what we believe. Okay. Yeah. And is there a kingdom aspect when you say that it'll be important to the eternal life, like is there a, a kind of a, a rewards teaching for the eternity aspect, like you know yeah. being placed in certain yeah places of honor? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So we don't have a classic view of heaven and hell. Okay, we don't believe in like like a heaven, like a single heaven or mm-hmm. a single hell. Mm-hmm. You either go to one or you go to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, our belief is uh, what we call different degrees of glory hmm. um, of you say privileges or blessings in the next life. Um, some of it is attributed to uh, things you do in this life, but obviously not everyone has the opportunity to uh, learn the gospel or they're not in circumstances where they can live according to it. Yeah. And we have a concept of like eternal progression that there are opportunities after their, this life for those that did not get the opportunity in this life. Hmm. But yes, there are different degrees of glory. We believe every single one is better than a mortal life on earth. Mm. Um, 
not that earth is bad, but, um, but there is pain, there's consequence, there's, uh, trials and, um, everyone that has, we believe everyone that has come to this earth through Jesus Christ will move on to something better. He suffered for sins. He suffered for our temptations. He suffered for our trials. And, um, that is something that will be removed from us in our next phase for everyone. Okay. It's, it's actually kind of similar to some of the, the beliefs that I was around before moving to Nashville. Um, mm. I, I would say that the church that I was a part of before moving here did believe in hell, but they, in terms of heaven and in the afterlife or eternal life, um, heaven was seen more as a, a bus stop you know, a holding place until the end of time comes. Okay. Or or until Christ returns to the earth okay. and sets up okay. an internal, you know, gotcha. Time. Yeah. So that that is interesting to hear how some of the things feel similar. Yeah. And we have that concept too. I mean, I'm going very high level over all sure. this stuff. Yeah. Um we have a similar concept. So the resurrection is will not happen like right when we die. There is a time period in between where there is learning, there's progress, there's yeah. understanding, especially for people who did not get to learn of the gospel in their life. There, okay. There's a period of learning and of opportunity. Um, and so, then, yes, we have a time where uh, Christ will return, um, establish his kingdom on the earth again. And uh, then that is the phase at which um, we will like kind of move on to the next part. Yeah, it's definitely not as harsh as I would expect or have experienced. Yeah. Members of the church do like generally people that participate in the church do Mm -hmm. adhere pretty strongly to the beliefs and what we believe. Um, We do believe that there uh, are that participation and making covenants with God is important. And so Mm -hmm. we do that and we um, generally try to adhere to those promises that we make with God in order to receive those blessings um, and so I don't want to just like brush over and say like, yeah, just do whatever and everything. But like, yeah. we, we do believe that there's consequence and there's importance to those. How exactly how that will work. I don't know. I'm not God, Yeah. but we do believe in a just God and a merciful God, and mm. a loving God. Um, and yeah. And, and with that, like going back to what we were talking about earlier with engaging in topics around the 2020 presidential election, mm. um, you know, BLM, how big of a topic that was, especially yeah. around the death of George Floyd, were was that foundation that you have in in church also a good foundation for why you were approaching some of the topics that you you were like you've come out of a a teaching and you're in a teaching that that says you know that God is just and merciful. Mm-hmm. Does that drive you in those conversations as well? Yeah, I mean everything. Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of my approach to life is shaped by my beliefs. At the same time, people that share similar beliefs to me feel the exact opposite about certain people, you know? So, I mean, um, so, yeah, and it's just I've taken a different perspective, I guess, to to my beliefs. There's room for interpretation. Our church is not affiliated with any kind of political party. We're a global Hmm. church, um, and we abide by the legalities and uh, we 
tried to conform as much as possible to local practices and different things like that. We, so mm-hmm. we definitely don't support any particular party in any single country. Um, I would say just how the church has grown and developed. A lot of people tend to be conservative, but there's room for uh, anyone in our church. And yeah, I would say the conservative aspect is more cultural. It has nothing to do with mm. um, our doctrine or anything like that. It's it's just a culture that has developed over time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and could there potentially be a an Americanized version of the the Mormon Church? It's an American religion at its root. Oh, okay. Just because that's where it started. It started here in in the United States. Okay. But it is a global church. I mean, we, we even though it has origins here, uh-huh. we don't believe there's like any boundary to our beliefs and our doctrine. Like it, if we believe in a God like we say we do, uh, and we believe in His gospel and how it applies to us, mm-hmm. uh, then there is no boundary to who should uh, be able to participate and um, benefit from those blessings and everything. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Kind of going back to the the song that we worked on together a year ago, I know that you wrote it intentionally. What, what's that song about and yeah. who's it to? That song, um, I was really thinking about the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. um, how not only in my faith, but in other Christian religions and honestly, any religious, uh, uh, most religious uh, communities, that group can feel marginalized. And it's mm-hmm. really tough to understand, do I belong here? Am I loved? Uh, what does my future like uh, look like uh, in this community? Mm-hmm. Fortunately, just again, with cultural beliefs, with different understandings over time, like people in... Um, my faith that are part of that community can feel marginalized. And a lot of times it leads to them leaving. And I understand that there's Mm going to be pain just because of misunderstandings of the gospel. There can be pain and hurt developed over time from family members, from friends, uh, from those in your local congregation that, um, that make you feel not welcomed over Mm -hmm. time. And also it's just, it's, so I was kind of going through a phase where I was trying to understand people that are a part of that community. Why would they stay? Why would they want to be a part of this hmm. uh, community? Um, I was listening to different podcasts of people in the LGBTQ plus community that uh, are members of the faith and also that aren't and trying to understand their perspective, why they left or why they're staying. I think it's fair to like listen to all the voices. I mean, some people would say people that choose to stay are just biased or they're in denial, but I don't think that's fair <laughs> to mm-hmm. say to deprive someone of their ability to uh, of reason and, and logic and to think through and come to conclusions for themselves. So yeah. I'll try to listen to a variety of perspectives and listening to their experiences was heartbreaking. Um, mm. uh, just trying to, just thinking of some of the experiences they've had, it, it really struck me. And when I have a moment where I'm really struck with emotion, not that I want to turn something into me, not that, I, sure. but that's where I'm like, feel really inspired to write. So I started writing a song, hmm. um, just thinking about their experience. Yeah, again, last thing I want to do is make something about me, 
I, but I do write about deep emotion that I feel. Yeah. Every single, almost every single song is something that I felt strongly at one point, and I'm trying to tap into that. Whether it's in the moment or I'm thinking back, I'm trying to tap into that experience. What defined that experience? What made me feel the way I did? And then I try to put that on the paper. And so that's what I did with that experience, kind of like learning about their experiences, hearing about their experiences. And I think the main line from that song. I'm not very good at like jumping into the middle. That's okay. <laughs> song. Like again, I'm a linear thinker. I got to start yeah. from the beginning. So yeah, the the main line phrase from that song that I think kind of sums it up is uh, like tap really tapping into that motion or how I was feeling listening to these conversations, these experiences of people in that community is the way you talk. It's clear to me that you spent days born with grief, and if I could, I'd take the pain. Pile it up high, set it ablaze, then light a torch that shines like day and let it guide you on your way. Just like wanting to be there for them, wanting to be an ally, wanting to know what to say that could take away some of that pain and also give them some guidance or some outlook for the future and what it can look like. Mm. So That's beautiful. Yeah, thanks. I'm assuming with in the church then that there's various views on the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Um, we, our belief is in marriage between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that says LGBTQ plus folks can't be a part of our community, mm -hmm. that they can't attend our church meetings, that they can't um, attend our activities. There's nothing that says we should not love them with all our hearts. <laughs> yeah. In fact, everything we know, everything we believe says we should love them and be accepting of everyone, including folks in that community. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, yes, our doctrine does have um, a belief in marriage between a man and a woman, and that's tough mm -hmm. uh, for folks in that community. So I can understand uh, how someone would want to have a marriage relationship. And that doesn't mean they can't come to our building. That doesn't mean they can't be a part of our group, but it does mean that they wouldn't be like married in our church necessarily. Mm. It's just so, it's interesting. I think maybe this, you know, the past few years for me, it's been interesting to kind of look outside of my own circle mm -hmm. and kind of like you did, you know, you were researching. I still am. Still, yeah, <laughs> still. I'm not, never going to stop. Like I, I want to understand yeah. it and learn from different perspectives. Yeah. yeah. And as that, for me, like I've, I've kind of had a curiosity switch turned on, like starting at like age nine, mm -hmm. you know, I just feel like around that age, it was just kind of like starting to see the world around me and it's very curious. So I, I feel like over the last few years, that curiosity switch has been really switched on because I've been exposed to a lot more. Yeah. Um, people who are outside of the circles that I grew up around mm -hmm. in, a, in a good way. Right. And I maybe, you know, I feel, if anything, I feel like I, I could have been better about that um, before I moved to Nashville. Yeah. You know, spent more time with people outside of 
the few circles that I was running around in. Mm-hmm. in a, and I am grateful for Nashville in that aspect. It's, it's allowed me um, through work and through the music industry to be able to meet people from different backgrounds, um, communities, areas of the world (laughs) on so many levels. I've also had that background of like, I've lived outside of the country as well in Germany on and off for about three years. That alone really helped shape my view of America and and who I am as a person and like, why is it that I believe what I believe? Did you go through something like that as well um, when you completed your missionary trip? Because you went to Latin or, or South America? Yeah, I went to Argentina. Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even before then, like I've, I've always been wanting to learn about perspectives outside of my own. Um, I'm aware of my own upbringing and biases and uh, the, those around me that, that uh, th- those that I grew up with that think very similar to me. Mm-hmm. So it's always been something that I've been aware of, even like hyper aware of at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I go through different cycles of, okay, am I just being biased here? Am I, um, and then the other way, like just like way overthinking it, which is just because I'm biased doesn't make something that is true not true, like what for whatever topic or whatever issue, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, it's, I'm constantly aware of that and something that I'm always thinking about trying to hear from outside perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say with this topic in particular, it's hard. Mm. It is something that I don't necessarily feel comfortable with. Um, there are, but there are a lot of other topics and as part of the gospel that I do understand that I do love. But this uh, topic in particular of like marriage relationship, it's tough. Hmm. Um, I'm not inferring that like necessarily that doctrine will change, but I do believe, and we do believe that um, people that are same-sex attracted or um, have any uh, spectrum are at all a part of that community and have any spectrum of experiences, we believe that that's how they're born. Mm-hmm. And so, if that's how God made them, then there's got to be a way for them to experience and be a part of this just as much as anyone else. Mm. So I'm not saying that I don't think it's appropriate to give like false hope or anything of that anything doctrinally related will change. But I do think there's a lot that we have to learn about um, the larger picture of the gospel. Uh, Our church does believe in like continuing revelation that we have okay. a God who speaks to us today, yeah. Um, through His, through leaders of our church, through our prophet, we believe. Mm-hmm. And um, I still think there's a lot to learn about uh, how any marginalized community fits within uh, the greater gospel, because that's who they are. Mm. Um, that's that's their experience, and I think. Most religions do a good job of appealing, or not appealing is not the right word, but of explaining and guiding the majority experience, but not the minority experience. Mm. So I think we have a lot to learn about um, what it looks like for folks in that community. Yeah. Yeah. Our church is like generally representative of the communities that we are in. And so, okay. like, 
the church in Argentina isn't a bunch of like expats, U.S. people. It's like Argentines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the church in Brazil is Brazilians. The mm-hmm. church in Africa is Africans. Um, uh, and so it's like generally representative of the communities that they're in. Um, I mean, I've always, like we do believe in a universal human family that we're all um, equal be before God. And that's something I've always believed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like, I don't think my church experience, uh, my mission experience in Argentina uh, changed that aspect. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah, I probably made it stronger. I, um, I got a lot of new perspectives. That's one thing that it did. Okay. Do for me. Yeah. I got to, um, you know, I was, I was not in tourist areas. I was in Argentina on the streets with the salt of the earth kind of people mm-hmm. and getting to know them, talking to people, street people, talking to uh, people that are representative of the communities there and um, living in, I wasn't living in like a nice apartment or anything. It was just like we were living amongst the people that live there. Yeah. Really a beautiful, rich experience. Um, and uh, getting to see, uh, getting to serve those people uh, in like actual service projects, but also like teaching gospel, seeing how it applies to rich and poor people of all races. I mean, really beautiful experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those trips, um, are those, is there a lot of service involved in those trips as well? Yeah. Especially, um, I think it's even more so now during COVID it's, it's always kind of changing the exact function of how it works, but sure. yeah, we had, we had time each week where we would uh, plan a, a service project in, in particular. And then if we had an opportunity on a whim to do something for someone, then we, then we would, but mm. we had scheduled in times where we'd try to fill that time with a specific service project and then we'd help others with different projects. But um, the vast majority of what, well, the majority of what we were doing is talking to people and, and teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember you, you mentioned once at your house that you you fell in love with cooking with a certain kind of grill or an oven oh, yeah. effect. The asada. Yeah, pretty yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what what could you do on that? Yeah, so uh one of the most popular um cuisines in Argentina is their asado, their steak. Mm. Um, so they take big slabs of steak and cook it over uh brasas. What's brasas? embers or something yeah <laughs> like coal I, I don't yeah, know yeah 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 uh, you have the the wood and it breaks down into into coals and you have um you set a like a rack over the coals yeah and, um yeah you cook meat over it for a longer period of time like an hour or two hours it's a little bit different than what we have here where we tend to do like the um have like a medium rare center or whatever like that mm-hmm. so like you're cooking it longer a little bit slower you use a lot of salt use some lemon um, just like a crazy amount of salt. On yeah. There. And yeah, it turns out pretty good. It's just like, you know, it, it's a pretty special experience. They do it on special occasions mm-hmm. or just whenever they have an excuse to do it. Kind sure. Like today when I brought the donuts, you know, sometimes yeah. you're just looking for an excuse to have a donut. Yeah. Um, they kind of have it for special occasions. And when like as a volunteer down there, if someone said, hey, we're going to have throw an asada for you, that's kind of like a sign of respect. Like, hey, we like mm-hmm. being around you. We want to spend time with you. We want to show you part of like what we do here in Argentina. So it was always a special occasion. We always had a lot of re- 
respect for people that offered to um, have an asada with us. Yeah. yeah. It's it just like from a respect point of view and not just like the food was good, but. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's, it's a good bonding moment. Yeah. And there's a documentary on Netflix called Street Food and they have one for Latin countries. Mm -hmm. And I believe that there's one on the Asada yeah. uh, culture or, yeah, yeah. or <laughs> yeah. you know, cuisine. I'll have to look, look that one up. Yeah, it's great. Try to have some food in front of you when you watch it because it'll make you hungry. And <laughs> Dude, that's how it always is. And read, like read the, yeah. the little subtitles or, or not. Like I watched it in Spanish and, and did the subtitles in English. Mm -hmm. That way you could actually hear the person speaking in their natural native tongue yeah. as opposed to like it's harder for me in those shows to like just listen to the overdub of the English speaker yeah when like I can still see their mouth moving I'm like I would rather just read the subtitles mm -hmm. in English yeah but yeah anytime would just sit down and make sure that like if I was reading the little description like oh, okay they're going to talk about tacos or they're going to talk about like mm -hmm. something savory I'm yeah. going to have like my beans or whatever yeah. in front of me yeah that's one of our <laughs> A lot of like half the time we sit down to watch something at night, it's like food related, whether it's like a great British baking show or uh, any yeah. other kind of food show. We always realize, crap, we, we need to bake something. We need to eat something. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to watch one of those shows without eating something. Yeah. Was it your birthday party? Is that mm -hmm. we did that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you had the charcuterie. Oh, I man. Charcuterie. I, yeah. Charcuterie. I yeah. Never say it right. Yeah. Like that was awesome. Like, yeah. That you was, guys had that was a special. huge. That was fun. That's the only Spread. time we had ever done anything like really? that. Really? I mean, and we haven't done that since like COVID started, obviously. Right. But uh, I can't wait for another time where we can do something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was fun. There <laughs> were meats and cheeses and vegetables and, and like, and, yeah, yeah. The whole shebang across the table. Yeah. Was, that was great. Yeah. Good stuff. Going back to some of the health guidelines, you know, I've done Whole30 a couple times this year. And the Whole30 diet is, you know, no processed foods, no sugar, no grains, no alcohol. And for someone who does drink alcohol, like I noticed that my energy levels around day, it was a little over a week, maybe like around day eight or nine, just like shoots through the roof. You know, you don't have bread weighing you down. There's also no dairy. So like yeah. the very strict diet. Uh, of course, as a vegetarian, like the, the thing that I'm doing that isn't true to the diet is eating beans because I guess they break down a certain way that okay. could produce a sugar or act as a, a carb. How different is that from like a plant-based diet? Um, Whole30, I would say, is a plant-based diet short-term. Yeah. But when I think of a plant-based diet, typically I think of someone who lives daily. Gotcha. You know, as a you know, a normal day-to-day, -day, like this is what I do. Mm -hmm. um, or I choose to intentionally not go out and buy cheese and bread at the or grocery anything store. Anything processed, really. Anything yeah. processed, yeah. And whenever I do the Whole30, I also don't eat the faux meats, even if they are, you know, Beyond Meat is like something that Bill Gates invested in and he's not a vegetarian, but he saw like, oh, this is like a really good product. Yeah, It's gluten-free, it's no soy, all vegetables, even they put, they make it with beets. That way when you are frying the like burger, it looks like blood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I go ahead and just X out all of that stuff and just, you know, I, I still see the beans as coming from the ground up. And if I can put them in the instant pot and make the beans myself from a bag, I will yeah. do that. <laughs> I talk about that instant pot 
a lot. It's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. It is amazing. It's the are amazing. Yeah, just thinking about like the health code, like I, I do see some benefit with it. And I think the point that I'm at right now is thinking through, constantly thinking through what I'm putting into my body. And I have an internal dialogue almost daily about caffeine. Mm-hmm. Caffeine, primarily I get from coffee. I don't, I do have tea in the house. I don't drink it a lot. Yeah. But when I feel like I need to back off, I go to it. But there's still like that drug aspect of like, I'm there's seeking like dependency, something. A slight dependency that can develop, yeah. Yeah, and I don't like that. Like I don't like yeah. feeling dependent yeah. on or something driving me mm-hmm. day in and day out. Yeah. Um, so I have considered trying a phase of, of doing no caffeine to see, like not because I have to due to a health concern mm-hmm. or anything, but just like trying it. Um, I know that I was listening to a podcast recently where a guy had gone, I think 30 days, maybe even longer, where he wasn't drinking any caffeine at all. And it, it, I guess his... It probably was tough for a while, like a really bad slump. <laughs> yeah, like you have your withdrawals. Um, I don't know, it's just, I'm thinking through that. Like if I'm at anti-hard drugs or or so many things that, you know, or, or even sugar or most prescription drugs, like yeah. there are things You want to in feel them. in charge and in control or in... Yeah, in control of your body, of your experience yeah. and not feel dependent on anything. Yeah. yeah. So I have been chewing chewing on that and think yeah. been thinking about it. Yeah. You know, and yeah, uh, can't hurt to try at some point. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like I I would say like some people have said that the coffee and tea, um, like early on we thought it might be because of the caffeine, but technically we've never had a restriction on caffeine in the church. So the, Okay. Like we do or not we like a lot of people actually choose not to drink caffeine, but I've always had caffeine. I'm not like a big caffeine drinker, but uh-huh. I'll drink caffeine. Like okay. Soda. Caffeine. Okay. So it's not caffeine. It's it. There's nothing that says caffeine. <laughs> okay. But that's what people inter- have at times interpreted it. Interesting. As. That's the common thread between coffee and tea. Why else wouldn't we not be able to have them? It's kind of what people are saying. Oh, yeah. it's the caffeine, so we won't have caffeine and other substances. Uh-huh. But technically, no, there's no restriction on caffeine. Okay. Maybe there would be in the future, or maybe they're just like, no, these are just like this. These are the drinks that we're going to avoid. But yeah, like like I was saying, there's not like with these health goes even outside of um, Mormonism, like. You can always come up with some kind of justification, but it's not like it always makes sense because there's always some exception or something like that. Mm. It comes down to these are like guidelines and these are this is a health code that we're going to abide by out of uh, because we've just been asked to. Maybe it's something that distinguishes us or something like that. like Or it's something we feel that because it's um, something that is coming from God that we... Uh, can receive like extra strength or day-to-day energy because we're abiding by mm-hmm. you know, something like that. When you say more. set apart, like is it kind of a taught as like a sanctification process, like setting yourself apart? Uh, not necessarily in relation to uh, abi- like not drinking coffee and tea. And, okay. Um, tobacco and alcohol and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to feel like you're on the spot. Yeah. You know, and and be like, <laughs> you have to represent so many people. Yeah. 
um, and things. So well, I, w- I would say like we're covering a lot of the topics that we're known for mm. because it's what makes us different or makes the experience unique. Um, but it's not like I wake up every single day thinking, oh, waking up, Cordell. Today I'm not having tobacco. Today I'm not yeah. <laughs> drinking alcohol. Today I'm not drinking coffee. Today I'm not drinking tea. No, I wake up like I do every single day. Yeah. And I just don't have those things. <laughs> I'm not a, I, yeah. I don't smoke cigarettes. So I don't yeah. wake up thinking yeah. what I'm restricted by or not no. doing. Yeah. yeah. It's not a part of my experience. It's not something I think about. It's something that I've sure. done. And it's something that kind of differentiates me because I don't have those things. Yeah. Um, and that's what people talk about, but that's not like my everyday experiences thinking about those things. And yeah, yeah. The, really, the only time I think about it is uh, if I'm like at like a work function or any kind of thing where alcohol is being served, and I have to like say, "Oh no, I don't drink." Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, yeah, I don't really think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can, I can understand that as well. I guess for you know, again, going back to like. He might be my only friend in in the Mormon Church, so it's like, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I appreciate you as a person, period, and I've enjoyed <laughs> so many things that we've we've talked about or yeah. over the the last few years. But like, you know, I, I have had like a list of questions where I'm just like, I've never been able to ask that <laughs> to anyone. <laughs> so that's that's great, and I, I really appreciate. You being willing to talk about that in in Nashville, um, looking at possibly moving in the next couple of years. Any ideas where you guys will land? You looking to go back to Virginia, or is is Megan from Virginia? Megan's from Utah. Utah, so yeah, she grew looking, up in Utah. Um, move closer to family, either way. Or? Yeah, I think we're leaning. I mean, we're really open. So Megan, she's going to be a university professor. She wants to be at a like a research heavy uh, university. Mm. And so that already limits the pool of like where we can be. There's sure. usually just a handful of those in each state. Um, and so not only are we limited to uh, like a handful of universities in each state, but also um, who's hiring at the time, mm. not only who's hiring, but who's hiring in her specialty, specialization in sociology. Like um, she studies criminology and sociology of health and mental health specifically. Mm-hmm. And um, so they have to be hiring for that specific thing. So it, it'll just depend on who's hiring at the time. She'll start applications uh, about this time next year for mm-hmm. a fall 2023 placement, most likely. And uh, yeah, we would love to be close to family, is kind of what we're thinking. Sure. Anyway, if we can be within like a three or four hour drive from family, that'd be mm. amazing. So whether that's Virginia, North Carolina, anywhere over there or somewhere in Utah, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. I grew up in a family where a lot of, at least my mom's side was scattered. Like they could be eight hours away and easily. Mm-hmm. Some of my family, they were missionaries, are missionaries in Brazil. So yeah. just... A big family on her side. She grew up with five siblings as well. And the older I've gotten, the harder it is to kind of keep everyone together when they get, yeah, you know, are, are, they're already spread out. You have to make an effort really to yeah, each other. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, and the older I get, the more I appreciate like being close to family too. It's like, it's 
fun, especially when you all become adults. And if you can get along, like (laughs) sharing in those experiences and having older siblings is good to pull from as well, because they may have gone through something where you're like, oh, I'm looking to do that thing now. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm like getting to that point. (laughs) What was that like? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's lots to learn. My siblings are older, they're married. Most of them have kids and I have nieces and nephews. I get this learn from their experiences of raising kids and what they're doing. And, um, yeah, it, there's a lot you can learn and a lot of, but, but not just like what they're doing to raise their kids and stuff. I'm, I'm learning. I learn a lot from my siblings, um, mm-hmm. just, um, observing their experiences and talking to them. And yeah, there's a lot of great value in that. Yeah, for sure. I definitely. Um, am grateful for that. And I recognize not everyone has that, um, dynamic and, that's something I'm grateful for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what's the next song? Next song. <laughs> you, you got yeah. one that, one in the can that you're working on. Yes, one in the can. You're in a different house now, so like you built your own little like. Yeah, I have a little area of the house area. Yeah, and everything. It's nice. It's treated. I mean, I didn't like get out a detector and like, <laughs> look at the sure. frequencies, but it sounds really good. And you wrote the song there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. Okay. Yeah, so the, the song that I'm working on now, all I needed was like one syllable to remind me. Oh, oh geez. It's Is that a test? the first Saturday of the month at noon. So yeah, it's a test. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. Should we keep this in the podcast? <laughs> so <laughs> this is only a test. <laughs> it is kind of alarming because the week that this area flooded, they accidentally set the alarms off a couple nights before mm-hmm. when there was some bad weather and everyone thought it was a tornado. Yeah. But it, it was an accident. Mm-hmm. And so it sent a lot of people into panic oh, mode, yeah. <laughs> including us. <laughs> yeah, I just definitely right now it doesn't look like tornado weather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful out. Yeah. Well, there's a park right behind the house that I'm currently in. Yeah. And that's where the uh, the siren is that is beautifully coming through your earbuds or your yeah. car, wherever you are. <laughs> Man, it makes me want to, it makes me think of like Lil Wayne's Fireman song. I don't know if you know that song, but I was like, <laughs> no. I remember no. I was like middle school or high school. Okay. I will, I'm going, we're going to listen to that as soon as this is over now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Before that, we were interrupted by that alarm. Mm-hmm. You, you were mentioning <laughs> yeah. you're working on a song. Yeah. So um, the song is about, again, like when I'm, experiencing certain emotions or feelings, I try to tap into those and write a song. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not currently in a position where I can write the full song, again, I like to work linearly and start with something, take it from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. I'll record it, a voice memo of it, and I'll come back to it later, my favorite concepts. So this one is uh, kind of exploring um, the feeling of, I don't know, maybe depression um, mm-hmm. and feeling overwhelmed and only being able to see the negative around you. And there's been a lot of times in my life where I'm feeling like that and I make an effort to seek out the good, Mm. but the bad is still outweighing the good. Mm. Um, No matter how much I try to force myself or try try to push through, the bad can still outweigh the good. And so it's just kind of thinking through that, that dynamic. Um, I can go through the first lines is what a tangled mess of a web I've sp- I've spun convince myself that things ain't gonna change 
heaven forbid I let a little light shine through and my clouded mind gets things all rearranged. I sit and count my blessings, sit and count my sorrows. No matter how I count them, one drowns out the other. And it's hard to know that's what I'm thinking. Hard to know that I can't shake it from my mind. Hmm. That's kind of how... Just like kind of explore. I mean, if you listen to my songs, you would think I'm like some super depressed person. <laughs> um, in reality, I'm just a little depressed. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, but yes, that's the reality of life. I, you know, cycles of depression. Stuff, yeah. Different things like that. Yeah, I mean, and that's also just some of the deeper emotions that a human can feel. And so it doesn't really surprise me that a lot of my songs are about that. So I, I'm okay with it. I, um, there are times where I'm like, man, I just got to write a happy song and I'm like sure if I if I um if I'm like really I will write a happy song if I'm can like really feel like I can tap into that experience and write about that mm-hmm. and I think I have uh, attempted at times but um like some of the deepest emotions I've felt are you know kind of on the sadder side so. yeah well it's an outlet <laughs> yeah it's an outlet it absolutely is it's honest yeah. too it can feel good to take a feeling, an abstract feeling that you're experiencing and trying to define what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that that's one technique to getting out of a rut. It's trying to define what you're experiencing. Um, I mean, it doesn't work for everyone, but it is a technique. Mm-hmm. It's define what you're experiencing. Does it correlate with anything? Is there stuff that you realize you should be avoiding or things that you should be doing to kind of avoid those situations or, or whatever it is? Like, that is a technique. So if songwriting helps you um, evaluate that circumstance, then great. It works for me. Mm. Um, well, I'm not going to say it solves my problems, it's, but it sure. helps me evaluate. It's a, it's a, a evaluation technique. It works for you in the sense that it, it helps. And even if it doesn't fix or mm-hmm. yeah. absolve anything. I think it's relatable. I yeah. think because a lot of people experience those emotions that it's relatable. I think that's, a lot of what makes a good song is that it's relatable. So yeah. by writing about those things, it's something that other people have experienced as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've personally connected with, you know, the songs that I've heard you put out and Thanks. I've enjoyed them thoroughly. And, you know, I always get excited because I was wondering when you changed, you know, from Cordell music to Cordell dabbles, like if like That's the music side was, was being put on hold no, or no. what's happening there? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we circled back to that. I think we got off track. Yeah, <laughs> probably because of me. <laughs> yeah, I want to, um, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been waiting on executing because once I go into execution phase, it's going to be a lot of work. So I mm. want to be in a place where I'm feeling good, feeling stable, feeling healthy, feeling like I can go forward. Um, kind of similar kind of what you're doing with your podcast. It requires consistency. It requires... Um, scheduling like it's something you have to like schedule into your life and I'm sure there's aspects of enjoying it but also you recognize it's something you want to do over a long period of time it probably took some level of like commitment at the beginning yeah you wanted to be in a position where you could do it absolutely yeah so that's kind of where I am um, with this concept so I want to um, I don't want to give away my my secrets because it's not like trademarked or anything. It's all right. But I have a concept of dabble a day, like kind of like apple a day is like healthy for you. That kind of like that idea. So a, a dabble a day, it can be good to get outside of your normal um, routine mm-hmm. and um, and do something creative, mm-hmm. I think is uh, a good, so, something that's healthy to do. Yeah. Um, 
And so the idea, the concept is just like encouragement for others to do a little dabble, whether it's like doing a little drawing, a little something, engaging in something creative. For me, it's songwriting um, and doing something like that would probably benefit your life. And it's just like kind of um, developing a um, social media push in many different forms to encourage people to engage in something creative. Mm. So that's amazing. Dabbles <laughs> is kind of what I changed my like Instagram and handle my different social media handles too. Yeah. And kind of in preparation for that kind of push at, at some point, it'll probably be maybe beginning of next year or something or, may, or maybe sooner, but okay. um, I look forward once to I it. start it. I know I want to be committed. I'm not great at uh, posting regularly on social media right now. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that. And I'm, I don't feel like I could start that right now at, with uh, this point in my life, but um, hoping the next couple of months to kind of make that push and be consistent in that. Mm-hmm. It's something I feel um, strongly about, passionate about. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, like, too, something that I'm realizing when it comes to doing something artistic or um, at this point in my life, a lot of the conversation is surrounded by, well, I do it because it helps or it relieves some, you know, some other part of my life that maybe where there's stress or, or some monotony or or mundane aspect Mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. But I also feel like when it comes down to, for example, like I'm a drummer when I play drums, I don't do it because it helps me in a certain way. I also do it just because it's fun Mm -hmm. and I forget for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I forget that so often it's like, you know, like you're talking about riding your bike and getting in touch with like even even crashing and and <laughs> you know hurting yourself a little bit. It's like it takes you back immediately somewhere and it's feel alive. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you did things purely because it's like, what do I want to do today? Well, I want to do something that's fun. I'm going to go hop on my bike. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. And I feel like maybe as an adult, you're you start to think about like, oh, um, I need to, I need to do things with a purpose or for a reason. And sometimes it is good to do something without a specific reason, you know, to do a a good thing or a fun thing just because purely Mm -hmm. it's enjoyable. Yeah. And so I've been trying to push myself to do that. And you're right. Like, um, doing something like this or what you're about to embark on, it does take commitment and I appreciate that, like you're thinking through and recognizing, like, okay, there there is a time and a place for it, not just yet. Yeah, and I want to because I care about it. I want to follow through. Yeah, um, and I want to be in a position where I feel like I can follow through. Mm-hmm. And and I that is exactly where I was for the first. Oh, well, at some point in the pandemic, it I kind of got a wild hair, and I was like, maybe I'll just bring the the podcast back. Yeah. You know, that'd be fun. But then it's like, I had no idea of how I could do it mm-hmm. and do it well. It was just like a wild idea. And I was like, well, then I'm just going to end up releasing one fun episode and everyone's going to be like, the five people who listen to it are going to be like, what was that? Yeah. Or the people who know me well would be like, okay, that's weird. I'm not even interested. Mm-hmm. But really teasing the idea in my own head of being like, no, like I I want to talk to people, you know, again and and, and see people um, even if it's over Zoom, like engage with people in things that um, I want to learn about, and just it 
took some planning, you know, and commitment. And it is it is work, but it, it's so worth it because it's also enjoyable. Yeah, it's like there's so many other aspects of like this podcast, like just having you in my home right now, just mm-hmm. like getting to see a friend. You know, yeah. it's like that that has nothing to do with the podcast, and but the podcast was kind of the the bridge or the avenue that led to also just a moment of just getting to yeah to see each other. Yeah, I think that's special. I I, I I'm a, I'm almost jealous in a way. I mean, some of these uh, conversations where we dig into deeper topics are some of the most like fruitful and uh, joyful experiences that you can have in life. Mm-hmm. Experiences you can have in life, and you get to have that. You know, however frequently you put out a podcast, yeah, week, <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been good. It's been a great experience. I wish you the most success on your podcast endeavors. Thanks. And, uh, and maybe someday you can be acquired for billions by Spotify. Oh, <laughs> just, there you go. No, I'm just. Did you hear that? Did <laughs> <laughs> you hear that Spotify? But but sincerely, yeah. I, um, not just that successful from whatever commercial perspective but um that like you continue to enjoy it and yeah have a good time with your guests thank you yeah and i'd love to have you back whenever cool. whenever the the journey begins for cordell dabbles and yeah you know that'd be awesome so cool cool man thank you thanks there it is that was my interview with Cordell Raynock. Man, what a fun time. We got to talk about food, guitars, childhood, good memories. That was a lot of fun. Hope we can do that again. Thanks so much for coming on, Cordell. Hope you guys are taking care of yourselves and have a good rest of your week. If you don't listen before the holiday, have a happy Thanksgiving. We will have an episode out next week. It'll be out next Tuesday. It's going to be a good one. Porchcast comes inside again on the next episode. All right, you all take care and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.